0: All right, welcome to Bible Study everybody. Great to see you tonight. Glad you're here. Moments to pray and ask God's blessing on our time. So let's pray, Father. Thank you for uh, just the the work of Your Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank You that uh, He is here. Uh, we've gathered in the name of Jesus, and we thank You for Your presence. We ask that Your Holy Spirit would teach us tonight. I pray Your Holy Spirit would anoint the words that are spoken and that we hear. I pray that those words are creative in us. I pray that they affect us. I pray, God, for changing our lives. I'd ask you, God, that you would use this time to challenge us and challenge the way we see things, challenge the way we see you, challenge the way we see ourselves, and I just pray, Father, that this would be a time where we mature a little bit more and we grow a little bit, and I pray this would be a time, God, where we get a bigger, better revelation of you. So use it. I pray, God, that we'd respond to you tonight. I pray that you'd help us to have an open mind, an open heart, an open spirit to receive what you want to speak to us, what you want to show us, what you want to reveal. We'll give you honor and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Jeremiah. If you need a Bible, there should be one located on the table there in front of you and you can feel free to use that or one of your electronic Bibles however it is you're, you're going tonight but Jeremiah Prophet Jeremiah going to go to chapter 20 reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's s p e a k p i p e. dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study. All one word. You go there to that web page, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. Could be just saying hi. Or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. So we're at Jeremiah chapter 20, and I need a volunteer to read verse 4. All right, thanks for reading that. Uh, Jeremiah uh, was not very popular, and and you have to understand that about him, especially during this time, that uh, before the Babylonians were, before they had brought destruction on Jerusalem, before they had taken people, uh, the majority of people captive, uh, before all that happened, the people of uh, Israel had had hope that they would be spared. Because in the past, God had done that. Uh, there had been a sparing of them, there had been a uh, a time where it seemed like they were going to be overrun, attacked, and and they were spared from it uh, during, uh, I think it was reign, one of the reigns of the king. And so uh, there were prophets that were prophesying during this time that were saying, yeah, God's going to deliver us again, and it's going to work out, and everything's going to be good. And so they were saying that, they were prophesying that, there was a lot of them that were prophesying that, saying that. We had Jeremiah, who wasn't saying that. In fact, Jeremiah was saying what you just read there. He was saying, "Well, you no, know, the uh, King of Babylon is going to come in. He's going to destroy Jerusalem. He's going to take you captive. He's going to just bring destruction down upon the city and upon this region. And this is what's going to happen. And and so the, you had these conflicting messages. Now." I want you to think about that for a second. Which one do you think people were listening to? Now, this is is a valid question here. So, do you think they were listening to the one they wanted to hear? Yeah, no, no, the one they wanted to hear. Were they listening to that? Yeah. Yeah, in other words, what they want to hear. Everything's going to be good, right? You're going to be spared. Everything's going to be good. And you're going to be delivered again, and there's going to be no problem. That's what they want to hear. And so... That's what they were listening to. Also, do you think they were listening to the loudest message? You think that's pretty, that's human nature, right? So you've got like a hundred guys, 400 guys, prophesying the same thing about deliverance, prophesying the same thing about how uh, they were going to be spared, right? Follow? And so that's what they're hearing. That's the loudest message. And so that's what people were hearing. And so you had people listening to the message they wanted to hear, and they were listening to the loudest message. And then you got Jeremiah. And here's Jeremiah saying, no, this is what's going to happen. It's bad. And it wasn't what they wanted to hear, and it wasn't very loud. It was just one guy. Jeremiah carried some weight, though, because he was known as a prophet, and he was somebody that the people had respect for, and he was somebody that the people listened to. And so you had these conflicting messages that were taking place during this time. Now, of course, the the people who were ruling over the nation, they like people to be calm. So, which one do you? Which message do you think they were endorsing? Everything's going to be okay. That's the message they were endorsing. But that's the message that they endorse. And so, you had all of these prophets saying everything's going to be okay. That was popular, loudest. You had the government at the time. That's what they endorsed. Everything's going to be okay. Everybody, calm down. Everything's good. And you had this one guy, Jeremiah, who's saying it's not going to be okay, and it's no good. So there was a guy, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 20 in Jeremiah, this guy, Pasher, he was the son of a priest, and he was also the chief administrator of the temple, Pasher. And he didn't like what Jeremiah was prophesying. Didn't like it. Upsetting. And so what he had was he, he, had him, he had Jeremiah beaten and had him put in stocks for a day. And so by doing that, he was just saying to Jeremiah, you need to stop talking about this. You need to stop prophesying these things. You need to stop saying these things. You're upsetting the people. You're upsetting me. So we need to stop this. And so because he didn't like what Jeremiah was prophesying, he didn't like what God was saying through Jeremiah, he just had Jeremiah beaten I think in in my Bible or one of the Bibles I was reading, it said he smote him, whack. All right, so he had him beaten and he had him put in stocks, and and so that's that's supposed to humiliate him. That's supposed to be uncomfortable for him. You ever go in stocks just for fun? You know, at one of those events like uh, like the Renaissance Festival or something, where you get in stocks. It is uncomfortable. And and so it's uncomfortable and it, and it's bad. You know, like for Jeremiah, I mean, here he is, he's just prophesying the word of the Lord and he's beaten and he's put in stocks for his troubles. So, so Pasher had done these things to him. So the next day he came to release him. And so as soon as Pasher releases him, Jeremiah looks at him and he changes his name. Just changes his name. He's like, well, you're not going to be called Pasher anymore. We're going to change your name. You ready? Magor Misabib. That's a downgrade. Pasha is easy to say. Magor Misabib. That's what you're going to be called. And what that name means, and the reason he renamed him, was that that name means terror or fear is everywhere. That's what the name means. And it's taken from a psalm. So somebody look it up, Psalm thirty-one thirteen. Gonna drop some knowledge on you guys tonight, you ready? Yeah. Somebody read Psalm thirty one thirteen. Yeah, that whole that phrase there, I'm surrounded by terror, that's Magor Misabib in their language. And so he takes from that Psalm, Psalm 3113, and he renames Pasher Magor Misabib. In other words, terror's all around. And he was making a statement about what was driving Pasher. He was making a statement about why he had hit him and why he had beaten him, why he had put him in stocks. When people are afraid they do horrible things. When people are afraid, they become horrible people. That's just how it is. And you, see, we, you know, we got a little itty bitty taste of that last year when 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 all this fear was being drummed up about what was going on in our nation, what was happening with uh, with COVID, and people got afraid. And when people got afraid, they got really nasty. You know, we live in a neighborhood here. In general, and I've been in this neighborhood for a lot of years. We live in a neighborhood where people generally are like, live and let live, man. All right? And then that's what my experience has been for years. 20 years that I've lived in this, been in this neighborhood, not lived, but worked in this neighborhood and been in this neighborhood. It's been live and let live. But when all of this fear got ginned up as far as COVID was concerned, people, neighbors, began to turn on one another. They began to say things they would have never said before. They began to do things that they would have never done before. And when they did that, when they turned on one another, you saw a side of humanity that we really don't like to see. But it's a side of humanity that comes forth when people are afraid. When people are terrified. And what Jeremiah was saying to Pasher, or as he renamed him, Magor Mithubbib, what he was saying to him was, is that terror has overtaken you. And this son of a priest, this administrator of the temple, had taken a prophet of God, a known prophet of God, and beaten him and put him in stocks. And what Jeremiah was saying to him is that you're full of fear. And there is fear all around you. And that fear is driving you to do things that you would not normally do. That's what he's telling them. Not only him, but everybody else that saw what happened. He was speaking that word to them. And this is a word to us. This is a word that, that God is giving to us, is that fear is a bad motivator. It just is. And fear around us and terror will cause people to do things that they just wouldn't normally do. And so Jeremiah changes his name. Remember, in the Bible, your name means something. It ain't like us. You know, our names don't really mean anything. But to them, their their names meant something. In other words... When he changed his name, this is what he was saying to him. It's like, this is who you've become. That's a problem. You know, it's when, when, when God changed Jacob's name to Israel, there was a reason for that. When Jesus changed uh, Simon's name to Cephas or, or Peter, there was a reason for that. He was going to make him a rock. And, and so that's why he changed his name. And the Bible describes for each one of us that there's there's written on a stone. And this is in the book of Revelation, how we have a new name that's been written on a stone, and the only one that knows it's God. And all that indicates to us is that we're in a process of change right now. That we're not who we're going to be yet. And, And God is changing us. And there's a process that's going on in our life. And somewhere there's a little stone with a name on it, that only God knows what it is right now. And that name indicates who He's making you into. That name indicates what He has for you. That's what it indicates. And so we have a hope that God isn't done with us. We have a hope that God's still working on us. We have a hope that, that we're still moving forward in this life. And that in our spiritual life, there's still a maturity and there's still something going on in us. It doesn't matter how old we are, There's something changing that God is working on in our lives. And we can have a hope in that. We can rejoice in that. We can know that there's still more to come. We're not done. And we never are done. And He's never done. We're still drawing breath. We're still alive. He's still working on it. We've still got a name on a little stone somewhere. And He knows what it is and He's working it out in us. And so when we feel stagnant, it's a lie. You know, I mean, you can feel stagnant, but it's still a lie. There's still something going on that God's bringing you through. There's still something going on that God has for you. And you can choose to believe either what the Word of God says, or you can believe the lie. That's up to you. And we a lot of times we'll alternate between those things in our life. But if we'll remind ourselves that we're in the process, and that process is ongoing, maybe we can fight the feeling that we're stagnant better. I mean, the Bible says in another place, he who has begun a good work in you shall complete it, even unto the day of Christ Jesus. See, there's no end date to that. It's an ongoing work of a good work that's begun in you that he's completing and completing and completing all the way to the end. He's still completing it. And so the Lord says, the Lord says, and that's what got Jeremiah in trouble. And interestingly, Jeremiah, we have no indication he had anything to say until that moment. So he's released. Pasher releases him. And then you see those words, the Lord says. See, Jeremiah was silent until God put a word in his mouth. That's all right. He didn't have anything good to say. Why say anything? I'm sure if I understand Jeremiah as being a person, a human being, somebody beats you and puts you in stocks overnight, you probably don't feel so good about it. You're probably not thinking many positive thoughts about that. Because Jeremiah wasn't a supernatural being, he was just a guy. And so, so you get beaten and you get put in stocks, you're not going to have a lot of good to say. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. And so he, he waited and then the Lord put some words in his mouth. And so then when God put words in his mouth, that's when he began to speak. And he spoke truth. Now what do I mean by truth? I mean truth. Not popular speech. Truth is sometimes not popular speech. It doesn't mean it's not truth. Just because other people don't agree with you doesn't, doesn't mean that you're not speaking the truth. Just because not everyone agrees on what the truth is doesn't mean that you can't reveal, it can't be revealed to you what the truth is. It can't, it's just true. And so Jeremiah, he has this word that God gives him, word of prophecy. Well, it's truth. And he's speaking that word and not everybody wants to hear that word. That's what got him beaten and put in stocks. People didn't want to hear it. People didn't want to know it. People didn't want to deal with it. All they wanted to hear is what they wanted to hear. That's like us. We want to hear something good. Tell me something good. There's training books that I've read over the years on how to give prophecy. And one of the things that a lot of these training books talk about is that you always want to encourage somebody. Well, sometimes prophecy isn't very encouraging. It's just not. And I remember reading those books, I'm like, yeah, but what about, you know, what about whatever? And I've told this story a bunch of times, so just bear with me. But, you know, when I when I was traveling doing ministry, there were just sometimes I had a word that just wasn't a very positive word. And it would just come up every now and then. It just happen. And when i travel a lot of times, people would have me, uh you know minister in church do whatever i'm doing minister whatever they're going to have me minister at but then uh many times they take me to the hospital if they had shut-ins or take me to you know nursing home or take me to people's homes if they have people that were sick and they want me to pray over them, and lay hands on them which i'm happy to do and there was one time that there's a guy he's like i want you to come visit this lady she she's a pillar in the church she's one of our leaders she's been a part of what we've been doing since the very beginning um, she is sick in the hospital and we've been gathering, and we've been praying, we've got a prayer chain going, we're fasting, taking turns fasting, we're believing God that he's going to heal her in the name of Jesus, he's going to raise her up. Would you go pray with her? I'm like, sure. And so we went into the room, went there, said a prayer, uh, you know, did the prayer for the sick, whatever, got done, we're walking out, he looked at me, and said, like, so what do you think? I'm like, she'll be dead in a week. See, that's not a popular word. You, you get it? But he asked me. If he hadn't asked me, I wasn't going to say anything. I mean, seriously, I I, I just did my thing, and, and I walked out of there, and I was ready to walk and do something else. But he asked me straight up, what did you see? What do you think? And that's what I saw. And he's like, well, I don't receive that. I'm like, okay. Well, no, I, I just don't receive that because we're believing for healing. I'm like, good, okay, fine. I said, I will be the first to tell you that I am not infallible. I could be totally wrong about this. So whatever, go with your faith. You asked me, I told you what I thought. Well, you didn't have to say that. Well, I'd have to lie to you if I didn't. And, and so I know it really irritated him. I mean, he's a pastor. He's, you know He's doing his thing. And I know that really irritated him. And I knew it would. But sometimes the truth is irritating. It just is. Sometimes the word of prophecy can be irritating. Because it rubs us the wrong way. Or it goes against what's in our head. Or it goes against what's in our mind. And all I can say about that is be careful what you reject. Because, like I said, traveling around, there will be people come up to give me words all the time. And and sometimes, you know, there are things I wanted to hear.
1: Yes.
0: And sometimes there are things I didn't want to hear. Mm. But God taught me over that time, those ten years that I was traveling around, He taught me, He's like, don't reject that word. Just commit it to prayer and see what happens. Commit it to prayer and see what God might do through that. Commit it to prayer and see what else you might say about that. Humble yourself. Humble yourself under the hand of God and see what he might do in your life, even if it's not something you want to hear. Let's see what happens. You know, as that story goes with the pastor, I know like I said, I know it irritated him. A few months later I saw him at a big, you know, pastor gathering that I was at. He walked up to me at the at a church that we were at, it was like this big old church we were at. It might have been East Syracuse, I don't remember where we were. And he just looked at me, he's like, you know that woman you said was going to die? I'm like, yep. He's like, well, uh, God healed her, she's still alive, and uh, she left the hospital. I'm like, awesome. He just looked at me, he's like, yeah, I'm not. I'm just joking, she died three days later. Yeah. But I was more than willing to say I was wrong. It didn't upset me one bit. I'd love to be wrong about somebody dying. And I think he may have been just trying to test me to see how I'd react to that. But and you know, in the way in in the way that he explained afterwards, he was almost just apologetic for how he treated me after I said that. But when we don't want to hear something, it's hard. And Jesus did that. I mean, he said things to people that were hard sayings. And they would tell him right out, I was like, That's a hard saying, who can bear that? Because so that's what I'm saying. That's really hard to hear. I, I, I'm, it's really hard to hear this saying that, that you bring into my life. I mean, it's it's a tough one. In John chapter 6, you see Jesus talking to his disciples. He's talking to this big crowd of people and he's telling them stuff. Talking about the Spirit. Talking about things of the Spirit. Talking about who he was. Talking about all these things. And it, and it got to be to a point where people couldn't understand what he was talking about. They thought one thing, but he was really talking about something else. They were thinking physical. He was speaking in spirit, even though he said this is spiritual, not physical. And they ended up leaving. He lost about five, 4,000 people. In one, in one teaching, he lost about 4,000 people. He's got 12 people left, the disciples. And, and the only reason they were there, and this is what they said, they said the only reason they were still there is because they didn't have nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to go. So he would have lost them too if they'd had anywhere else to go, but they didn't. And their response to him and to the word that he gave was like, man, that's a hard thing to receive. I don't understand it. But it was the truth. And so if you can get rid of 4,000 people in like an hour, that's some offensive stuff, man. Seriously. But it was the truth. And so if that's Jesus, or Jeremiah, or Isaiah, or Ezekiel, or Daniel, or the the minor prophets, as you read them and they say things that people don't want to hear, sometimes that's going to happen in our lives. That we will be put in a circumstance where we'll be given an opportunity to speak what God is saying, even if it's not popular. And you'll make a decision at that point. And no one can make that decision but you. Jeremiah made his decision. And so he begins to speak just as he had spoken before. Not popular speech, but he speaks the truth. And he makes this statement. He says, the first word he says, behold. Behold. Or look. Take notice. To call attention to. Or to take... For your own. Behold. That's how we keep something. Right? And that's the words. Like I'm going to speak a word that God has for you and I want you to take it for your own. Don't put it on somebody else. Don't say, oh, that's word for that guy. Oh, I know who that's for. Or I I I know I know what he means by that. No. Take it for your own. Take that word and own it. That's kind of like what I was saying before. It's like, you know, we don't reject things. We can commit them to God. We can commit them in prayer. But we need to take some kind of ownership over whatever word comes our way. And so he goes on and says, I will make you. And and I want to just stop with that as he spoke that over, uh, Pasher, as he spoke that over Magor Misabib. What he says is, is, I will make you. And all I want to say about that is God is able to make stuff. He's able to create stuff. He's able to change stuff. He's able to allow or give a person up to something. That's what he's able to do. And what I want to say about that is that this guy Pasher, this guy Megor Mishabib, he was pretty powerful. I mean, he was the administrator of the temple. And so he was powerful enough to have Jeremiah beaten, and he was powerful enough to have Jeremiah put in stocks. That's how powerful he was. And what Jeremiah speaks, the word of God that Jeremiah speaks over him is like, hey, take a look at this. And he's talking to us. Take this to heart and own this, each one of us. Each one of you, me. Let's take this to heart. That he serve we serve a God that he can say, I will make you. Meaning he is able to make, to create, to change, or allow for giving a person up to whatever comes next. Because seemingly the strongest person can become a terror to himself. And I want you to think about that for a second next time you're feeling like you got somebody against you. I want you to think about that for a second next time you feel like somebody is really working to hurt you. And I want you to think about that for a second, that we serve a God... That no matter how strong or seemingly strong a person can be, God can make them, can allow for them, can create, can change, can give them up to being a terror unto themselves. What do I mean by that? Any leader? Yeah. Any boss? Yeah. Anybody in power? Sure. Politicians? Yep. Yeah. Anybody. Anybody. Anybody that wields power, anybody that that wields influence, anybody that wields anything over anything that affects you, God is able, and He can make something change. Am I saying He's gonna? Nope. But it's possible. He does what He wants. I'm not here to try to tell you when and how God does what He wants. That's up to Him. That's not up to me. It has nothing to do with me. But the fact of the matter is, if you don't know He can do something, then you're too ignorant to ask for it, right? You get what I'm saying? So we need to put ourselves in a position where we at least have the knowledge, we at least have the understanding that God can do this, and we can begin to pray for it. We can have some faith for that. We can have some kind of a, a, a spirit that, that comes alive toward that. That we're not just victims of whatever circumstance or person or thing that we find ourselves in. That we're not victims of that, but we have an outlet. We have a hope. We have someone that's stronger that we can pray to. We have someone that is more than able to make, to create, to change, to allow for something to change in that person's life. And I find it interesting that he hands over Pasher and says that he become a terror to himself. That's the phrase that actually caught my eye in this passage, is that he makes him a terror unto himself. Now, the word terror is kind of an interesting word in and of itself, because it has a lot of meanings that we can look at and we can say, all right, well, what exactly... Does, does terror mean? Well, terror is a little bit more, and I want to say that, terror is a little bit more than just fear. But terror is intense or overwhelming. Intense or overwhelming. Distress, fear, despair, and a sense of danger. So when you start talking about intense or overwhelming fear, that's not just being afraid. That's paralyzing. That's not just being afraid. That creates irrational thought and behavior in people. When people become that kind of afraid, terrorized, they become irrational. It's like let's start talking about it's that intense. It's that overwhelming. And so that distress leads to despair. And despair is kind of that idea of we don't have any hope. We're done. We're done for. I give up. Give up to what? Whatever. See, that's despair. And interestingly, the Bible talks about how the wicked fear where there is none. The wicked fear where there is no fear. When there's nothing to fear. And that's something that, that is a, a, like a biblical thing is that when the Bible talks about it, it's like, well, you know, it talks about like one of you can send a bunch of other people to flight or ten of you can, can, can send an exponential number to flight or a hundred of you can send another exponential number to flight. Well, that's because he can create a fear so intense that people will be irrational. They'll despair and they just give up. You see that in the scriptures when God gave gave his people instruction, he's like, well, you're gonna go out against an overwhelming uh of army, sent chronicles twenty you're gonna go out against an overwhelming army, and so send out the worshipers first, and now the worshipers at the front of the line well worshippers, they don't do battle, you know you know they're the ones that are kind of be sitting ducks out in the front, but they did it, they obeyed, and they sent the worshipers out front well. Their worship caused such a confusion and terror into the opposing army that they just laid down their weapons and ran. Now, explain that. There is no explanation, but the wicked will flee. The wicked will fear where there is none. Or you had the the, the time where uh, the city was surrounded and, and there was a barricade around the city. And how people were just starving to death. And yet some lepers decided, all right, well, we might as well just go on out and give ourselves up. We're going to die here anyway. We're starving to death. So let's head out to the camp of our enemies, and at least maybe they'll have mercy on us. We're going to die at the gate anyhow, so let's go. And so they walked out to the the army that was surrounding the city, and they found it completely abandoned. People had left the, the camp in a hurry, just left behind everything, thrown everything off and left in some kind of a, some kind of weird distress, some kind of weird sense of danger to the point that they just left everything there. And so those lepers just began to eat and began to drink the wine that they left and began to just gorge themselves like, hey, this isn't fair. We've got to go back to the sea and let them know there's food out here. And so they went back and, and got them. But what caused that? Well, the wicked fear... Where there is none, and so even those lepers who in, in in bible times they were looked on as the unclean, they were looked on as the one you didn't even get anywhere near. they were the ones that had to stay twenty paces away, or how many paces away, they were the ones that announced that they were unclean, they were the ones that that weren't allowed in regular society, they were the ones that couldn't worship at the temple, they were the ones that didn't have any place, no standing whatsoever, and the fact that God would send them. And they would find the the camp just completely abandoned and all that food. And then they would be the ones that would be able to declare the victory. Tells us a little bit more about who God is. And so this terror, this intense or overwhelming fear, this distress, this despair, this danger. Is it really danger? I can't answer that. But that's what he gives people over to. That's what he can give people over to. And, and what I want you to think about this and kind of apply this to yourself. But I want you to think about how outward fears, if you give yourself to outward fears, if you're not listening to me, kind of tune in, tune back in right now. If you give yourself over to outward fears, what do I mean by that? I mean, you look at something and you're afraid. But instead of fighting that, which I talked about a few weeks ago instead of fighting that fear you let that fear take root in your life follow me on this you don't fight it even if you're just passive about it even if you just let it go but you're allowing that fear to dwell in your heart or dwell in your mind those outward fears will intensify inward and produce terror in you that's how it works It triggers something inside of us when we don't fight it. It triggers something that's in our heart or in our spirit when we don't fight against it when it's on the outside. I can't explain it any other way, but if we will not resist, if we will not work against, if we will not pray into, if we will not begin that resistance to overcome the fears in our life, they will intensify inward. And they produce terror in our lives. Here's what happens when they begin to produce terror in our life. It not only acts on us. Read the the verse. It not only acts on us, but it acts on the people around us. In the same way that every single one of us has potential to be a calming influence on the people around us, because we do, Every one of us has the potential to be a calming influence on the people around us, people we work with, people we go to school with, people we live with, people that are around us. All of us have that potential to be that calming influence. In the same way, if we allow fear to go unchecked and terror takes root in our heart, we have potential to be a source of fear and terror into the lives of other people. And I think if you've lived long enough, you've probably experienced that at some point in your life. And you begin to understand who you want to be around in a crisis and who you don't want to be around in a crisis. And you start to understand that. I would see that all the time on the ambulance. We'd be in weird crisis situations. Weird, weird crisis situations. And if 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 one of us projected and all of us had been taught to project a certain calm we're taught to project a, a certain fearlessness taught to project a certain peace about what we were doing and as people would see that they would experience that they would also begin to calm down not everybody could do that and sometimes it'd be in those moments where people that had been trained fully trained they had been taught everything they knew taught that done well on their exams, they were top of their class, they were working, and and they were great on medical calls, they were great on on certain types of EMS calls, but you put them into a crisis situation, you put them into some kind of a situation where things were a little unstable, they would freak out, and they figured out, maybe this isn't for me. And it would be those moments where they figured that out. I'll tell you something. The last thing you want to be is a source of terror into the life of a loved one, of somebody who's dying from a heart attack. Okay? You don't want to be the source of more fear in their lives. Ever. Ever. You know, you're on a domestic dispute. You don't want to be the source of more fear, more terror into that house when you walk in there and you got somebody that's bleeding on the floor because they've been beaten. And you got somebody holding a hammer in their hand. You don't want to be that. You want to be the voice of calm. Sir, put the hammer down. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, we have a responsibility, I think, not only to ourselves. You have a responsibility to yourself. You have a responsibility to people close to you, your family. You have responsibility to the people that you're around, that God calls us to be around. And we have a responsibility to fight fear in our lives. We have a responsibility to live above fear in our lives and not let it take root in our hearts to produce terror. Because we don't want to be the source of that in people's lives. We don't. You don't. None of us want to be the source of that in people's lives. but We find ourselves in that situation. Jeremiah, as he prophesied over uh, Pasher, he was letting him know this: is what's going to happen. Because reason, think about why did Pasher beat Jeremiah? Why did he put him in stocks? Because he's afraid. He's afraid of what Jeremiah was saying. He was afraid he was right. He was afraid that they were actually going to be overrun by the Babylonians. He was afraid they were actually going to be taken captive. He was afraid that the temple was going to be destroyed. He was afraid that Jerusalem was going to be burned to the ground and that all the walls of Jerusalem were going to be broken down, just like Jeremiah said. He was afraid of that. And instead of fighting it, he silenced the word of truth. It could have set him free. But he didn't want to hear it. And so instead of believing what God was saying, instead of working in faith, he tried to silence it through violence. or tried to silence it, putting him in stocks. Jeremiah's word to him, because you haven't fought this, because you've let this take root in your heart and terrorize you, you're going to become a terror to yourself and you're going to become a terror to the people around you. Period. But isn't it unique just to Pasher? It's not unique to Him. And you can't think of it that way. The lesson for us is that we don't have to live that way. The lesson for us is that we don't have to accept that in our lives and we don't have to live under those circumstances. We don't have to be Magor, Misabib, fear all around. We don't live like that. We're not called to live like that. When Jesus taught, I mean, something that, that you understand about that is that he tried to teach his disciples, it's like, you know, you're in the palm of my hand, No man man snatch you out. I mean, he's trying to comfort them and let them know. But if you read the Gospels, after he was crucified, you understand what happened to the disciples there, went and hid. In John 20, he found them. After he was resurrected from the dead, he went and found them. They were, they were behind locked doors, afraid. They thought they were next. And because they thought they were next, they locked themselves away, afraid. They began to fight amongst themselves. But see, their fear turned into a terror that had only terrorized them, but the people that were around them. And the first thing Jesus said, first words, as he appeared to them in John 20, He's like, Peace be unto you. Peace. That's what they needed. And and the, the gospel that's being preached in Jeremiah here is the same gospel that Jesus is preaching in John twenty. Peace. Peace be unto you. Peace. I got peace for you. I got a way for you to live. I got a way for you to to, to conduct yourselves. Conduct yourselves in peace. Does that mean nothing scary will ever happen? No, scary things are going to happen. Will there never be reasons for fear? Yeah, there will be reasons for fear. Yes. There always seems like reasons for fear. You know, I grew up, what were we afraid of when I was little? We had Vietnam and we had the Soviet Union. We are going to get nuked any second. What was the answer? Practice getting under your desk when the alarm goes off because everybody knows a desk will protect you from a thermonuclear blast. Everybody knows that. But it made us feel better, so we did it. It made them feel better, so we did it. So there's fears. There's fears about whatever. There's going to be fears. You know, we, it's what it is. We have a choice, though, how we're going to react to that. In the time of Jeremiah, there were fears. In the time of Jesus, there were fears. There's always fears. Always. And they're around us, and we have a choice how we're going to react. See, Jeremiah reacted very differently than Pastor did. You see that? You see how Jeremiah reacted to this? He had the Word of God. See how Jeremiah reacted to this? This is what God says. This is the truth. See how Jeremiah read to this? This is what's going to happen. He understood what was going to happen. And you know what? He thrived through all that took place after this because he understood it. He had it in his heart. He had it in his mind. He'd come to peace with it. And this is what was going to happen. He thrived during that time. I want to thrive. Even if it's not what I want to hear. Even if it's not what I want to see happen. Even if it's my first thought or my first choice as to what should happen. And there's lots of things like that but if I've got the truth and I choose to believe it and I choose to live in it, then I can live in peace and I can thrive. Even in bad times, I can thrive. Even in hard times, I can thrive. Even in scary times, I can thrive. You know, you become a terror to yourself when you believe lies. And false promises. Because that's what Pasher did. He he wanted to hear victory. He wanted to hear Babylonians are going to leave. They're going to leave us alone. He wanted to hear that we're not going to be taken captive. He wanted to hear the temple's not going to be destroyed. He wanted to hear the city's not going to be destroyed. The walls are not going to be torn down. That's what he wanted to hear. That's what he wanted to hear. And so he believes the lies and the false promises. That's what he believes. And what that did in him was it set off more intense internal reactions to what was going on around him. It's the same with us. You want to believe lies? You want to believe falsehoods? You want to believe false promises? It's going to set something off in you. It's going to set you off. Why is that important? Well, that's important for you, number one, so you don't live like that. If you want to call it living. It's not much of a life living like that. It's not much of a life living in fear and terror and despair. That's not much of a life. The second thing about it is is what it does to other people. Because I don't know if you noticed it before, but once you get convinced something's good, scary, once you get convinced something is wrong, once you get convinced and fear takes a hold in you and terror takes a hold in you, you share it with other people. You ever notice around here, when they say there's gonna be bad weather. Hey, hey, we're living in Syracuse, New York. I don't know if you're confused about this, but it snows around here in the winter time. Hey, hey. Just a little bit. And every now and then we get storms. And it dumps some snow on us. Got it? Yeah, good. Well, alright. Well if you watch the news enough, oh, you know, you know, snow again coming again. Blizzard again. Well, most of us have lived through blizzards. If you've lived here any length of time, there's been blizzards. If you've lived here any length of time, they've dumped snow on you. You've lived here any length of time. You've seen it happen. You have. And it's going to happen again. Have you ever noticed how people, as soon as they hear that, do you hear about the blizzard that's coming? And it gets worse every time you hear somebody talk about it. It's going to be 18 inches of snow. 80 inches of snow? Are you kidding me? Yeah. And it doesn't, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Why? Because the intensity intensifies in you. The terror intensifies. And you begin to share it. And it gets worse and worse and worse. We love the drama, but worse and worse. Reality of it is it's gonna snow. Embrace it. Embrace it. Be cold. It's gonna snow. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Don't act all shocked. It's just the truth. And so we have to be careful about what we want to believe. We have to be careful about falsehoods. We have to be careful about false promises because as, as that fear builds in us, and as we make stuff up to try to counteract that fear that's just not true, that terror begins to affect the people around us in really, really, really negative ways. And I think God has something better for us than that. I do. I think God has a better existence for us than that. And I think He calls us to something better than that. I think He has a bigger expectation of us than that. And I really believe that when Jesus, when He talks about it, it's like when He was in the, in the Beatitudes, He says, blessed are the peacemakers, right? For they shall be called the sons or daughters of God. Yeah. Yeah, peacemakers. We're not stirring it up. We're not bringing the terror. We're not bringing the fear. We're bringing the peace. And what that begins to do in us is set us apart as children of God. He just does. I mean, you notice Jesus, when he was on his way to Jerusalem that last time, he's like, yeah, they're going to kill me. And in three days, I'm going to rise again. You notice his disciples' reaction to that? Oh, no. no, that's not going to happen. No, no, he just said it. (laughs) It's going to happen. No, no, no. I don't know what he's talking about. Anybody know what he's talking about? No, we don't know what he's talking about. Because they want to hear it. They didn't want to hear it. They were afraid of that kind of talk. They were afraid of what he was saying. They were fearful, terrorized by what he was saying. And so they were like, no, he didn't really say that. Or I don't understand it. Or, or he didn't mean that. Or whatever. And when the day came, they were full of terror and hiding away in a room somewhere. Instead of embracing the truth, embracing it and standing with it. See, Jeremiah was able to stand in Jerusalem because he embraced the truth of what was going to happen. And he stood there, and he was strong through it, and he thrived through it. The disciples could have made that same decision with Jesus, believed him at what he said, really believed it, and said, okay, well, he's going to be crucified. He's going to die, but he's going to raise again in three days. They could have been all over that because he told them that. And if they had embraced that and they had believed the truth about it, they would have thrived through that moment instead of hiding in a room somewhere and arguing with each other. They didn't have to do that. They chose to based on what they chose to believe. And, and, and they did that because they succumbed to their fear and the terror that was in them. They didn't want to hear it. I don't know about you, but I want to thrive. I want to thrive. I'm not too sure things out there are going to get much better, okay? Just telling you. I'm not too sure about that. I have no idea. And I it. don't quote me. I don't know, but I'm not too sure things out there are going to get much better. And if they're not going to get much better, then we need to put ourselves in a position where we hear God, we believe what He says, even if it's not what we want to hear, but we believe what He says so that we can begin to thrive in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. Because I believe that's God's will for us. I really do. And so all I can do is encourage you toward that. You've got to make your own decisions. you got to react the way you're going to react. you got to believe what you're going to believe. you got to take notice of what you're going to take notice of. And you're going to have to adopt and adapt and do whatever it is you're going to do in order to see it through. That's what needs to happen. But I will pray for you that you will not... You will not allow fear to become terror in your life and the lives of the people around you. The only way I know that that's going to happen is if you believe the truth. Heavenly Father, I just say thanks that uh, you got better for us than the way we've been living. And I want to say thank you for that. I thank you for Jeremiah. I thank you for this prophet that... Even though he was prophesying in the Old Testament, he could have been preaching a sermon in the New Testament. He is speaking to us about who we are. And he's telling us we don't have to be this way. And so I thank you for that kind of hope that he who has begun a good work in us shall complete it. And so I thank you for that kind of hope that that we don't have to stay the same way that we are. But we can be something more, something different, that we have a name that's written, that only you know what it is, but that tells us there's change ahead, that tells us that you're able to to move in our lives and we can begin to see things, think things differently, God, we can begin to react differently, we can begin to fight fear, that we don't have to live in it. We don't have to let it take root and produce terror in our lives. We don't have to do it. Because God, I thank you that we are a prophetic people, and we are among a people of prophecy, and you are speaking and you are showing vision, you're doing what you do, that we have raised up a company of seers that that see what's coming. I pray, God, that we'd believe you at your word. Whether it's what we want to see or it's not, what we want to say or it's not, we just believe you at your word. That we would allow you to be God, you to be the one who tells us what's going on, and that we would accept your word with a readiness of heart and a readiness of mind. For God, I pray that we're a people of influence over the people around us. I pray that we are peacemakers among the people that are around us. I pray, God, that we are children of God among the people that we come into contact with every day, people that we work with, people we go to school with, people, God, that we are around every day. I pray that we would be the children of God, the peacemakers that you've called us to be. So, God, I pray your Holy Spirit to empower, to teach. I pray, God, to change our hearts, change our minds, I pray we'd participate with you to grow and to mature and to be different tomorrow than we are today. We give you thanks tonight. We give you thanks tonight that we don't have to live in fear. We give you thanks tonight we don't have to live in terror. We give you thanks tonight we don't have to live in despair. But you give us the opportunity to live in the truth and to thrive. I give you honor. we give you praise, and we ask that you have your way to make change in our hearts, our minds, our spirit, our soul. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen.
1: UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as you gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You no, know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? We're super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Yeah.